think you have to welcome it. I think I think if you welcome competition, it's going to be a lot easier down the road when it gets hard. It's going to help you focus a little bit more. It's going to make that one kick a lot more, you know, important. Mm-hmm. I think if if you're competing with a dude, then you're going to wake up motivated and and you're going to have a different mindset going into that day or practice. But if you're alone, you could probably get complacent and, and get used to the days, just day after day after day. I missed a kick. Or, I mean, who else is going to be here to take my spot, you know? Sure. In an era of kicking up and downs, Miami Dolphins kicker Jason Sanders has been a steady rock at the position since his rookie year of last year. When he's not taking fake field goals to the house during the season, you'll probably find him honing his craft. That, or probably some golf. I'm your host, Brandon Cahill, and this is Jason Sanders' story. Enjoy. Guys at the NFL level kicking they don't find kicking so much as kicking finds them or they kind of stumble into it. So what was your story about how you first got started? So my story basically is kicking found me. Um, my brother, I have three other brothers of mine. The one that's closest in age to me, he was a junior in high school and I was a freshman. And he, he did pretty decent, decently well as a, as a kicker for the high school team. So when I came in freshman year, I had a health teacher that was also a football coach. So he was the head coach of the team, and he he basically said, you're Sanders, go go sign up for football. You know? right. So it was one of those things I didn't want to do. I, you know, I, was, I was a kid in high school, and sometimes you need your parents to, to lean you forward to, to know what's best for you, you know. So I was a soccer player growing up. And that's all I really wanted to do. I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to kick footballs. Just wanted to keep playing soccer. And, and then talked to my parents, and they kind of pushed me towards, you know, kicking a football, just like my brother. So I started my freshman year. Showed up the first day before the game. It was <laughs> the first day before the game. Right. Um, and then as the years went on, it got more serious for me. So freshman year, I was still just a soccer player. I went, yeah. I'm just helping out the football team in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And then sophomore year comes around, you spend a little more time there. And then junior year comes around, you spend a lot more time there. And then, you know, you see some exposure. You're getting a lot of college coaches coming in. And so when my senior year came around, that's when I officially took it serious because I, I realized how many college coaches were coming in that, that previous year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think my story with kicking is kind of unique because yeah, if, if I didn't have an older brother that was kicking for the high school team, I probably wouldn't be kicking. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of times it's almost like pro athletes stumble into things that they really enjoy. Or, um, and, and what was that process like for you going through high school to college recruiting? Because I think when I work with younger guys, or you might know younger guys, the biggest pain point isn't really about finding technical coaching or – information around the admissions process but really it's about the recruiting process so what was that process like for you and what do you think kids are getting wrong today about the college recruiting process i mean 
the way mine went was college coaches would come in and and they would come see me personally but no scholarship offers they would just come see me meet me and that was about it and then me and the head coach would spend a good amount of the day making phone calls every day to coaches at different schools but I mean, I wouldn't say I got a scholarship offer because I went to King Camps. I went to, I think, one or two King Camps. It was a Chris Taylor camp that I don't think I I benefited from, from it. You know, I, I had a King coach named Brent. He yeah. He's from – or I met him when he he lived in San Diego and then he would come down to Orange County and, and train, but he, he's now in Austin. Mm-hmm. But it was, he was basically my only kicking coach, or he was my only kicking coach. Right. So, so I mean, I, I think getting recruited is, is it's kind of hard. I think, yeah. uh, I think I, well, I got offered the day after Shiny Day, so that alone, I I thought I was good enough. You know, I was right. I was told I was top three on about five to ten different boards, mm-hmm. and not one of them offered me a scholarship. Gotcha. The next called me the day after signing day and said, we have an extra spot if you want it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So that they gave you a preferred walk-on? New Mexico? No, they, they gave me a scholarship the day after signing day. Okay, gotcha. So it was kind of a no-brainer for me. But, uh, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, how did that – I guess how did that make you feel that you were told you were on all these boards and stuff? Or, like, I guess if you kind of look at one of the things that fires Tom Brady up is, you know, 20 years later – nine Super Bowl appearances later, he still always points back to that moment where he, he feels like everybody kind of passed over him. Is that something similar to what helped fuel you at New Mexico? Uh, no, I think once I got there, I finally hit my stride. But mm-hmm. in high school, I thought I thought I was a pretty good kicker in high school and that I think a lot of teams would be happy to get me if they got me, you know. But, right. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just tough to say, but – I'm glad it all worked out. I went to New Mexico and you know what I experienced there was was something like I'll have for the rest of my life, you know. Growing up in Orange County, you you get to see different things and, and experience different things going to a school like New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so what was that process like or I guess what was the biggest difference that you saw between um high school football versus college football level? Cuz there's always nothing really prepares you for day one of preseason with all the coaches and everybody likes you. Like I remember when I was recruited, I was like, Oh, my recruiter is my best friend. He's so great. And then like day one, you know, mother after this mother after that. (laughs) (laughs) So what was that process like for you adjusting to the college game? What do you think was different? Uh, I came in there with a good attitude. I wanted to work, but the, the difference between high school and college for me was, High school, I was I was splitting soccer and football, mm-hmm. and I was I was still leaning towards soccer, you know, in high school. But once I got to college, it's all football. So now we officially get to put all our all our time and effort into one thing. Mm-hmm. And so, did you feel like I guess what was it? What were some of the things that the coaches were evaluating you on in college that they weren't in high school? Mm-hmm. Evaluated me and nice. I mean, when I got to college, it was more 
it was more just competed with a guy now in high school you don't really compete really yeah or, or personally I, personally i didn't there wasn't really another kicker there right but i mean when i got to college i had to compete with uh, a retro junior so he's been there for three or four years yeah right so i think that's a big difference too is coming into a school where it's not handed to you i mean you're on the team but the spot's not handed to you. You still have to earn that spot. Sure. And so how did you, and I think that's a, an interesting point because a lot of high school kids, especially in the Northeast where I'm at, it's kind of typical. There's only one kid on the team who kicks. There's not a lot of competition. Um, but then when you go to college, even if it's a division three school, there might be four five, six guys in the specialist room. Um, how did you, how do you see competition? And then how do you balance being a, great teammate with those guys while at the same time also competing for the same spot i think you have to welcome it i think i think if you welcome competition it's going to be a lot easier down the road when it gets hard it's going to help you focus a little bit more it's going to make that one kick a lot more you know important mm-hmm. i think if if you're competing with a dude then you're going to wake up motivated and and you're gonna have a different mindset going into that day or practice. But if you're alone, you could probably get complacent and, and get used to the days just day after day after day. I missed a kick. Or I mean, who else is gonna be here to take my spot? You know. Sure. Right. But and that's that's college level. And so I mean, I think that's the only difference is if you, you have to welcome it. So if you welcome it, now we get to compete. Sure. Have you seen other guys in your experience who might have had the technical talent or maybe they were hey, had a little bit more ability than you, but they just couldn't figure out that mental side in competition? Or I guess, how do you, how do you approach the mental side of kicking? Because we've talked about this before and every guy's got their own approach. And I would say you're a very laid back guy by nature. Um, how do you balance wanting to go out there and be perfect on all your kicks, but also being really detached from the result of your kicks? Like if you miss a kick, it, you don't let it blow your cool. Whereas like maybe a less experienced kicker might. So how do you approach uh, the mental side of kicking? I also think that's about a hundred of the guys that aren't in the NFL. There's, I think there's about a hundred kickers out there that are good enough to kick in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But I think once they get the opportunity, something in their head happens, you know, now we start going downhill. Now now they look like the kicker that they aren't usually, you know. So I think I think that's so hard about it. There's only thirty two positions and so when you get that opportunity all you're thinking about is the risk, right? So right. I think once you can balance the risk per kick, you know, I mean you can't be sitting back there ready to kick a ball and be like, is this my last kick? I mean, we'll see. You know. <laughs> it's it's got to be a different mindset. You got to, you got to be able to go in there and, and think that you're going to make every kick. And I think I did so well my rookie year because I wasn't thinking about the risk at each kick. Mm-hmm. I made the team and, and in my head, I didn't care about what came with it. It was just one kick at a time. It was, I miss this kick. I, I mean, it's not the end of the world. I'm here for a reason. You know, you got to trust in your ability that you got to this place for a reason that you're a good enough kicker. 
Yeah, let, let's talk about that. Like when we've talked in the past that you kind of described it as most of the battle is feeling like you belong on the field with all these guys that you're used to seeing on Sundays and um, or coaches and things like that. The stands are a lot louder than you thought they'd be. The grass is different. Um, what was that transition like from college to the NFL? And I think your story is pretty unique because the joke used to be about five, eight years ago that they were going to make the uprights narrower because kickers were so proficient. Then they moved the extra point line back. There's been some high profile misses or mishaps. And you as a rookie two years ago or last year. Yeah. Two years ago. Um, you flew under the radar. You were very consistent. So what was that process like with feeling like you deserved or belonged to be out there from transitioning from college to pro? I mean, I don't know. It's just going out there and competing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, backing up the extra point, I thought it was definitely – and they did this when I was in college. I think it was my first – my senior year in college they did this. And I, I was thinking to myself, this this could probably win and lose games right here. It's 33-yard extra points, you know. And that right. might be the difference between going for it or, you know, just kicking the extra point. But, I mean – you just gotta trust your ability, man. You, you you spend so personally. I spent maybe ten years kicking now. Four years in high school, four years in college, two years in the NFL. It's about ten years. You have to have some kind of confidence deep down of, okay, I've been doing this for ten years. When it gets tough and I'm not having a good day, can you dig deep and and figure out how to put the ball through the uprights and I think that's what makes some of the best the best twos because even when they're off they're pros so they're, they're gonna know how to get the job done you know what I'm saying yeah gotcha yeah I mean I think that that's it's never really like how good your best ball is everybody's got an a ball but how good is your worst day um can you talk a little bit about what you know have you had any mentors help you um with transitioning up to the NFL level? And if so, what did the, that mentor or those mentors each teach you? Um, well, my kicking coach was there all the way since high school. He's, he's always been a part of the journey. Mm-hmm. I got, my parents always been big fans. <laughs> I got brothers that, you know, always been big fans too. Got a, a family friend, Carol, that's always been supportive of me. She. She's the one that sent my first NFL footballs to train with after college. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just a, it's just a group of everybody that's that's helped me along the way. And then once you get there, you just got to look back at where you come from and, and mm-hmm. take advantage of your Sure. And how do you I – mean, obviously, right now with the coronavirus, your training's you're still training. Um, can you talk about how you break down your your practice sessions – so, for example, one of the things that I've noticed a lot with younger kickers is they'll go out and hit a thousand footballs. But if you ask them what your goal was, they wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you. Some guys go in there with like a really detailed plan. Other guys, they want to just see what happens. Um, I guess, how do you break down your practices when you're out there? Right now, I would say I'm more drill orientated. Mm-hmm. So. I want to make sure I'm hitting the right spot on the on the foot every single time. And so I'll start with a thing called a line drill where you just 
you just have your plant foot down and then you, you work on swinging through and making contact straight through the ball. Right. So I'll always start with that. And, and then I'll go into a nice little quarter. I, I call it like a 45 degree two step kick. Okay. So I'll, I'll just go up to the ball and go 45 back two step. Now I'm, I'm still focused on hitting on the proper spot of the ball, but now I'm doing it from a, a two step angle instead of, from no steps and then then I'll work my way into the full full three steps. So my biggest thing is is making sure it comes off the proper foot proper uh, spot on my foot every time. So right. Every time I go out there and kick that's about my biggest focus. Sure. And I think I don't, I don't really think about my swing or anything. I think my swing is my swing. Mm-hmm. I just focus on hitting that spot every time. Do you think guys are too quick to change up their form if something's not clicking cuz you're a big golfer? um i try to golf but i'm terrible at it but like we've all got these buddies who like if their first three drives off the tee are great they have an awesome day but if their first three drives are terrible it's almost like they're prisoners of their practice reps and then they just try to start changing everything all at once you have a little bit different approach to that i think that's the level of skill right so you know i mean if you're not if it's not working let's change it right but the way i see it I got here for a reason mm-hmm. and I haven't changed my, my form since I started kicking. Yeah. You know, the little things might've changed like my hand placement or something like that, but mm-hmm. my overall form has been the same since I started kicking. It's right. just improved as we got on. And so I think what you see in most kickers when they start kicking again is, is we're hitting, we're not hitting good balls. So now let's change it up to where we can hit good balls mm-hmm. instead of just sticking with your swing that got you to where you are that, that that's been proven and it's been proven to work effectively too. So, I mean, my biggest thing is right now, even, even right now, like I'm not hitting hundred percent good balls. doesn't mean I'm going to change my swing. You know, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm going to stick with what, what's got me here. What's made me a really good kicker in my opinion. Right. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause you'll like, you'll see a kid missing in a game or in a practice and uh, they just, they, come back with a completely different swing five seconds later and you're like, like where did that come from that it's totally unnatural yeah i think i think there's a handful of guys you could probably look at year after year that you know a little something's been changing and i think that's part of the off-season workouts you're sure gotcha can you talk about a favorite failure you've had in the past that then set you up for later long-term success? My sophomore year of college, I made it through seven kicks. Seven kicks and got demoted. And, uh, so my, my freshman year of college, I was the backup kicker. The guy was a redshirt junior. Mm-hmm. And then I took over my sophomore year when he was a redshirt senior. Right. And... I made it through seven kicks and then got demoted. I think I went, it was either four for seven or three for seven. I think it was four for seven. But he took back over, and I think that was the best thing that ever happened in my kicking career because I I got a head start on what I was doing wrong, and I got to realize what what it took to to make some kicks. And I, I think that minor setback helped me reevaluate what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. So I think, I think that was probably one of my biggest failures. 
it gave me more time. I don't think I was ready. That's what I'm saying. Gotcha. And so what did you, I mean, once you got benched, obviously that's, that's like not a fun experience. What were the things that you changed or I guess, what did you learn through that? What did you like, I guess, yeah. How did you kind of get out of your own way for that next season? Uh, there was, I mean, I, I got better as years went on, but there was, I think, two kickers there to compete. But I think the the scale between me and him was was pretty, you know, it wasn't pretty even. Mm-hmm. So I, I took that and just ran with it. I think I took advantage of every single kick. The, you know how some people or some teams they they'll switch kicks. You know, you're up one kicker, B's up the next kick. Right. I took advantage of every single kick I had. And even, and if there was a game winning situation at practice or something, I, I was making sure I was out there to take it. Yeah. You know, I, I want to put myself in the most pressurized situation I can at practice. Sure. And so I think you, even if you miss those kicks, at least you're going to show the coach, like you, you want the ball when, when yeah. those situations matter. Um, talk us through the field goal fake this season. Cause hmm. I, you, so one of the things that I hear a lot from college coaches and pro guys is, you know, you got to be an athlete first. You want to be an athlete who happens to kick, not just a kicker who kicks. Obviously, doing a field goal fake is pretty sweet. What was that like for you guys? Uh, it was one of those plays that we've been practicing for about five to six weeks before it happened. Yeah. So we're waiting for the right situation, right down the distance, right time on the clock, and then – uh, and they called it, and we we uh, we did it. It was supposed to be a nice dump pass by Matt. Yeah, but it happened so fast. It happened to be one of the yeah just a nice little flick off. But you know, it was a cool play. In the locker room, everybody was saying at practice. I mean, you guys got anything better? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> but what I've learned in the NFL is that coaches are coaches for a reason. You know, and they. Sure the plays they drop is because they know that'll work given the right down and distance, right, right situation in the game. Yeah. So sure. I think that's the biggest thing with fakes is actually believing that, you know, there's, there's something for each situation, you know? So, so I think there's a bunch of teams out there that practice a bunch of different fakes. Sure. So they'll have maybe four or five in the bag and they're ready for that. Just one time that they get their right down distance, right, right situation. Do we need this right now or do we not need it? Right. I think, um, I think there's so many times that, that a lot of fakes don't go right because a lot of people aren't trusting themselves. Yeah. Sure. Like, um, I'm sure you saw that the, the bunt I had, the the surprise onside kick bunt mm-hmm. yeah I think if I wasn't very confident in my ability to do that it probably wouldn't have gone anywhere near as successful as it was mm-hmm. right yeah I mean I think it and it's almost like it, I feel like with fakes you know just call it calling it a fake is a little bit disingenuous to the fact that like you guys are all really good athletes outside of kicking and punting anyway. Um, and I feel like with fakes in high school, it's either you get the, or college, you get the coach who's like, you know, we never do fakes here or the coach that's like, 
oh, it's fourth and 30. Let's go for it anyway and not punt. Um, now, is that is what, what's it been like having somebody like Brian Flores as the head coach? What's that? How do you like him? Or I guess what's that culture been like since you've been there? Obviously, he's doing great things. Um, how does he view specialists and what's been your experience with that? Um, Coach Flores, I think, I think he started his coaching career as a special teams mm-hmm. assistant. So he understands the game. He understands the importance of special teams. And I think that's what makes him such a good coach coming in is that he, he values every single position on that team. So, so when, when we have an opportunity to run a fake, he has no problem calling it. You know, he, he's an aggressive coach. And I think, uh, I think it's fun to see how much passion and emotion he brings in each game too. You can see it on the sidelines too. He's sure. definitely a fun coach to play for. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny if you, look at guys like him or Joe Judge with the Pats or, or Fossil with the Rams. I think he's now with the Cowboys. Um, I mean, Fossil did a pretty good job when he was the interim head coach and special teams coaches. They really are one of the few guys on staff outside of the head coach who's going to have experience with everybody on offense, defense, and special teams. Um, let's transition a little bit. Talk to me about your preferred cleats. What are you wearing and what do you like and why? So if I was going to go into a game right now, I would probably wear the Tito 7s. But if it wasn't the Tito 7s, it would probably be the Nike Premiers right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I struggle with finding a cleat that I I have a hard time not being comfortable on my my feet. So I think dating back to the Tito 5 was my favorite cleat just because of that comfort it gave you. And so the Nike Premiers, I think, are next to it. And then just a cleat in general is the Tempo 7. I think the Tempo 7 is a good cleat. Um, I wasn't a fan of the Tempo 8. And I'm, just, I'm waiting to see what they come out next because, you know, if that Tempo 5 came out this year, I would have bought 100 of them, you know. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right now I'm just trying to focus on which cleat it is right now. And I'm, I'm stuck between the Nike Premier and the Nike Tempo 7. Gotcha. And how do you how do you like your cleat size? So some guys wear the, the same sneaker size. Other guys wear really tight. Other you know guys wear plant foot cleat, no plant foot cleat. What? How do you like your cleats? So I I, I like to wear the same cleat on both feet, but usually my uh, my left my plant foot is usually a half size bigger, so it'd be okay. a nine and a half as opposed to a, a small nine on my right foot. Gotcha. I also I experienced with you know a full size up on my left foot, but I felt like I was sliding too much, and I didn't like it. So I think a half size is the way for me to do it. And do you? Um, is there anything you do in particular to break them in, or is it just something like over time that they'll eventually break in on their own? Because some guys will like literally take the cleat to a grinder for like a hockey ice skate and grind down the instep so it doesn't catch. Is that what you mean, the the grinding down the cleats? Yeah, yeah. Is that do you do that yourself, or is that just something that happens over time? No, I'll I'll do the front three myself. Okay. So I'll just do it shorter to, to longer. So I'll, I'll do the front one is you know is obviously going to be the shortest one, and then it's just going to gradually increase throughout the the cleat. But 
yeah, as as breaking in cleats, uh, I just like to wear them. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a fan of incredibly broken in cleats. You know, yeah. I, I rather I rather use a brand new cleat than a, a broken in cleat, to be honest. Gotcha. And so you never wear synthetic cleats. Is it always kangaroo leather? It's always been kangaroo leather because I've been stuck on that that Tampa five for the longest time. <laughs> I think you can still find them. It's just like now. The only ones and, that are left are like have been hoarded by these like weird like cleat kings of the internet, and they're charged like five hundred bucks for like mustard yellow. Yeah, I think part of the problem is the color too. They only have blacks now, black yeah. and white. Got it. And so when you're let's talk footballs for a little bit. Obviously, you're kicking you're kicking the NFL Dukes. Um, is there? And I know some kickers are really particular about it. Other ones are not. Um, but have you found that there's a big difference between like the K balls you get on game day versus like a practice ball? Um, what's been your experience with that? The, the, the game day balls are brand new balls. They're out the bag. Okay. So when, when, uh, when there's a game, they'll have, we'll have one, three and five as a home team and the away team will have balls two, four and six. Okay. And so once, Say I hit a kickoff and it goes into the stands. We just lost ball number one, so we go to three. So before a game, we have an equipment guy, and I believe he's with the officials. I'm not sure about the time. It might be 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, that they get to scrub in each ball. And so they'll spend more time on ball number one and then move on to three, and five barely gets touched. And I mean, and so – the brand new balls when they're scrubbed in, it's, it, it sometimes they can feel like a good ball. If you have a, if you have the right guy doing it, it'll feel like a good ball compared to a, a practice ball. Completely different balls. So, yeah. So the the game balls are going to be nice and thin, mm-hmm. and when you break in a, a duke, it's going to be nice and fat. So it's going to be a huge difference. Yeah. Do you have like a special recipe you give the equipment guy? Like, hey, here's how I want you to scrub it and break it in, or is that just like you don't have any control over that? Uh, preseason games one through four, four different dudes do it. So one dude would do game one, one dude would get game two, and then by game four we'll have an understanding of who's going to do our balls this season. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't know it was that complex. That's yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> but I, I feel like everybody has their own special recipe to it, though. Because if you get, like, the – there's always that one kid at a kicking camp that's like, it's my ball, and, like, everybody thinks yeah. he's really annoying. But, like, when you find a good ball, like, you don't want to let that thing go. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the – I think they want, they're want. they trying to get the rule changed. But that's, that's the problem with uh, having brand-new game, game balls during uh, games. Yeah. And I think with the – I was remember I was talking to Nick Novak, and I think he actually helped the AAF write their, like, their ball break-in policy. And I think you could break it in, like, the week of. I don't know what the XFL ended up doing. Um, according to the XFL guys, they actually weighted the tips of the balls to make them spiral better for the quarterbacks. Right. But he, yeah, yeah. So even though it was, a, like, a slightly smaller ball, it was a little bit heavier than the Duke. So, I don't know. Some guys liked them. Some guys didn't. You think it goes farther? I think if you hit it right, like, it would fly just about the same. I mean, guys like Grusolino and, and Rossa were hitting some pretty far balls. But, um, all right. Favorite 
kicker who you've never gotten to kick with or train with yet? Who, who would you want to go back and train with and why? Oh, that's a good question. Remember watching Josh Scooby in college, um, or throughout high school, I mean, uh, seeing Adam and Terry this season was pretty sweet. Um, I mean, there's a handful of guys. I I like to I like to train with people. So if you're if you're a good kicker, I, I want to train with you. I want I want to train with the best. I want to compare myself. I'm right. not compare myself. I want to kick next to the ones that have done it for a long time. You know, so you can see what what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, definitely. What would be one piece of advice you would have wished you had given yourself when you first started? Um, could be started in the NFL, college, high school, but knowing what you know now, what would be one piece of advice you would have wished you had told yourself earlier? Uh, I think there's only so much film you could watch. I think the more film we watch, the more microscopic things we're going to find. So I think watching, watching films definitely an essential thing to, to this new era of, of kicking, right? So sure. we have our phones, we can record on our phones, but, you know, I'll record every single kick I have and I'll watch it back. But I think the importance of not microscopic things you're doing in your kicking, you know, and I think just keeping it nice and simple is, is a big, uh, is a big uh, thing to do for, for, you know, a young kicker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everybody hasn't, basically a GoPro in their pocket now and like I love a good slow-mo but it's almost like kids can be more concerned with what they look like on slow-mo than what the ball is doing or how they feel yeah I think uh, as a young kicker you just want to develop good fundamentals I think at an early age so I think a freshman sophomore year of high school you want to develop that that nice smooth technique and then we take that technique and, and now we go up with it you know so I think early stages of kicking, you just want to let it rip. You want to get used to that that feeling of kicking a football. Yeah. And, and what would be Jason's three rules to kicking? Like if, if every – if all the kicking knowledge in the world were deleted tomorrow and I gave you a Post-it note to write down three things that every kicker has to be able to do fundamentally, what would those three things be? Make contact properly. Well, if there's only three things, you gotta hit hit the right spot of your foot, I guess. Um, aim small. I, f I find when I aim smaller, I, I hit better balls. And so, like when you hit a when you go outside and aim at a light pole, I think I think I have more productive days because I'm aiming so much smaller, right? I'm, and I'm missing by so much smaller. Right. So, so aim small. And the three things, though, I can't say fall through straight because I, that, that can mean a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> mm. Aim contact, aim small. Just enjoy yourself. I don't know. I don't know, man. No, but I think what, that that's what, what do you what do you think your three is? 
hundred percent ball contact. Yes. I, I find personally, like when I'm out kicking, it, it always comes down to that. Like I've, like, if you think about it, you've never seen anybody have a bad day if the ball fell good off their foot. Um, and everybody has different swings too. So right, everybody has different swings, but they all have something in common. They're, they're doing one or two things the same as everybody else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, look at like your swing versus somebody like Goskowski or Vanderjack. I mean, those guys are, really narrow but the ball's still coming off the same part of your foot um yeah i don't know it's interesting because like if you say follow through straight what you think of in your head might be different than what i think of in my head that's what i was thinking about the whole time yeah (laughs) when i when i I say follow through straight i'm not following through dead straight you know my follow through straight is a little bit different right like do you feel like guys get more hung up on terminology than like actual coaching points. I think that that goes with the film I was talking about too, is that we, we look at so much different things instead of just being relaxed and, and making contact. Right. When you're out. Once yeah. you master making contact, I think now we can, we can make sure everything else is, is in order. But if you're have, if your swing looks different every time, it doesn't matter if we're not making contact. You, know, you want to make contact. Yeah. Do you feel like, or I guess when you're kicking, obviously you take film of yourself, but like, so for example, some guys are like very analytical as they kick and they'll like in between every ball, they're breaking down film. Um, I remember when I was talking to Jason Myers once, he will, he said his pre, his whole practice routine was like, he'll have an idea of like one or two really small things he might want to like just check out. And he would take film during his kicking session, but he wouldn't look at any film until after he was off the field because he felt like it would almost get him, like, too gunked up thinking about too much technique. How do you – like, do you watch film while you're kicking or is it just something like – I will. Yeah. I will. I mean, I don't like to just kick ball after ball. So, you know, I'll kick three or four. Even if I have, like, three or four balls left to kick – I'll go. I'll go fetch those balls just so I'm not burning out my leg. Yeah. Yeah. The the more breaks you give you, the, the more kicks you can have. And I think it's quantity over quality. So, I mean, I, I do watch film when I kick, but it's exactly like you said. It's not over analyzing. It's not, you know, you know, taking two or three things and and trying to change them. It's what we're doing is what we're doing right now. You know, when you're on the game day, we're not going to have. Sure, you have you have snapshots on the sideline, but we're not going to have a playback video, you know. So, <laughs> right, yeah, and, and then at the same time, then the question becomes like, all right, was that uh, there was a good line from uh, Bob Rotella, who's like that golf sports psychologist, um, but he would always say like, you know, there's no no video camera will ever be able to take a picture of what's going on in a guy's mind. You know, and the last thing you want to tell a golfer to do is to like change their swing up mid round. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, chemistry between you and your holder and your snapper. It's not always like, and I think Randy Brown said this when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and obviously it helps when you have guys like Justin Tucker, Cox, and and uh, Cook, but your no matter what way you look at it, your kicks go through your head coach, your holder, and the snapper. 
what's that process like for you with developing chemistry with those guys? Well, I have a great, I have a great group of uh, snapper and holder. So snapper makes it easier. Matt and the holder knows, uh, knows how you want it. So me and Matt have a good relationship on, on what it is. It's, it's usually relatively the same hold every game until, you know, now we take big factors like huge wind in effect. Right. But Matt, Matt knows what I want and I trust him. And I think that makes it so much easier on, uh, on me kicking. And, you know, and with coach Crossman, our special team coach and Flores, it's about confidence. I mean, you're not going to be a kicker in the NFL if your coaches aren't confident with you. So if they're not confident with you and we're not hitting those 50 yarders, then chances are you're not going to be there in a couple games, you know? Sure. And uh, what's a, how do you like your football set up? So like some guys, and this kind of gets into like wind factors or weather, um, some guys will never change their swing up and they'll want the ball tilted a little bit different way to deal with wind or weather. Other guys have the, want the ball the same every time, but they'll change up their swing. How do you make adjust? What do your adjustments look like with weather and, and all that? I like to kick the same ball every time. So I like to make the same swing every time, same kick. So, you know, if it's windy, then we'll mess with the degree of how much tilt straight up, you know. I think it all depends on how you're hitting it that day. I've had times where I'm hitting my normal ball and it's and it's tailing off because of the wind. And if we move more straight up, I hit straighter balls. If we if we put it more sideways, I'll hit straighter balls. So it just depends on the day and how we're feeling that day. Gotcha. But ultimately, if you're if I want to get to the point to where if I'm making the purest contact I can make, that ball is just going to penetrate right through that wind and we're not even going to worry about it. Do you think a lot of kickers overplay factors like wind and weather? Uh, no, maybe. I don't know if they overplay it, but I'm sure – I think every kicker has uh, has something with, with the wind, you know, if they're adjusting, you know, maybe 2% or something – I think everybody's doing something. I don't think everybody's just ignoring the wind. Right. Yeah, I mean, especially with, you know, I mean, the at different NFL stadiums have different wind, I guess. Like, do you find that – do you find that there's, like, stadiums that are, like, worse, like, nightmares to kick in weather-wise or – So, when you're kicking down, let's say, the east side or something and you got a right-to-left wind and then you turn around and now the wind's going the, the other way? Mm-hmm. I think that's when we, we focus on just hitting our best ball. Yeah. I think if we hit our best ball and you believe that your best ball is going to penetrate this wind, then we, then we got to go for it. Yeah. I think, I think leaving the sideline with the second guess in your head, I think is putting you behind it already. You know? So I think if you leave the sideline and you have ultimate confidence in yourself, you're going to figure it out when you get out there and you're going to make that kick. Sure. Weird. All right. Last couple of questions. Any weird pregame superstitions that you have? We all know kickers aren't totally normal, even though you're a great athlete. Do you have any weird, like, kicker superstitions that you do? Or just, just like, weird pregame stuff in general? I don't think anything I'm normal. <laughs> I mean, I'll put my right foot on first. That's about it. Gotcha. I mean, I don't, nothing, nothing abnormal, I guess you could say. Yeah. Got it. 
Uh, okay. Last thing then. Uh, what's what would be like the one thing that you would want people to remember about your playing career when you're 100 years old, looking back on your NFL career? What's the one thing you want people to take away from their time playing with you or watching you play? Just the amount of time I put into my craft. I think um, just not taking off days, truly an off day. I have a hard time when I'm not kicking, doing nothing. Yeah. So when I wake up at seven or eight in the morning, I think it's hard for me to just lay there. So I, I want to get out of bed. I want to. I want to get something productive in. So I think. I think that's also what's helped me along the way too. Is is my mind for for getting better let's talk about habits for a little bit. Um, obviously the coronavirus has thrown a wrench into like a lot of people's normal off season workouts and training. And obviously you got a little bit of a gym in your, your house over there. Um, I guess what's, what's your philosophy of strength training? Cause I'll see high school kids who are kickers being thrown in to, you know, power clean a thousand pounds with the linemen and they're blowing their backs out. Um, yeah. I don't remember the last time I power cleaned. <laughs> yeah so take us through what your your normal or i guess your philosophy of like strength training is what's helped you the best i mean i'll back squat and front squat and all that good stuff but i i'm not doing any of that power clean stuff uh hand cleans and a lot of the stuff that i see that can 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 set you back what i like to do is a lot of single leg stuff yep i, I had a lot of coaches over the years you know explain that everything I do as a kicker is single-legged. We, we, we kick with one leg. We play with one leg. And so that's kind of one of the things I've, I've focused on in the weight room, too, is doing a lot of single-leg workouts. And, you know, I would, I would put a kicker in the explosive category of an explosive athlete category. Just kind of, and, and I think just a lot of the explosive workouts, too. Is what benefits you as a kicker. Yeah, but I would say a lot of single leg stuff is is for sure some of the best stuff you can do. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Kickers Are People Two podcast. If you like this episode, or even better, if you didn't like it, please drop us a review on iTunes so we can get better for everybody else. This is important because we're going to start to give away some free, cool prizes in the coming weeks, episodes, and seasons. Thank you.